0: So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money, episode 1415, The Trauma of Money with Chantel Chapman.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. One of the narratives that comes through on consumerism with the help of social media is if you ever feel any emotions that make you might make you feel inadequate, lonely, bored, tired... Anything but like a kind of dopamine induced excitement and happy, you're defective and you need to fix that right away.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Shabibi. We are exploring money trauma today. Our guest today is Chantelle Chapman, co-founder of the Trauma of Money, which is an accredited course certifying professionals in trauma-aware and trauma-informed approaches to finance. Now, if you're someone who's ever found yourself saying that you're bad with money, that you don't have financial literacy, that you are ashamed of your financial life, Chantelle is here to help. Trauma, as she describes it, writes scripts in in our minds it embeds behaviors into our nervous system and these narratives can lead us to different painful disruptive behaviors and money disorders and without healing that trauma and changing those scripts financial strategies will only help superficially so Chantel and I discuss how to identify the traumatic experiences that may be impacting your financial relationship techniques strategies we can start practicing now to rewrite those stories and adapt a healthier mindset around money And we talk about financial FOMO, the fear of missing out on the way everybody else is managing their money and why that can spell disaster. Here's Chantel Chapman. Chantel Chapman, welcome to So Money. It's really great to have you and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank
1: you for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well.
0: This is a tough topic, trauma of money, and you've made it your life's work to focus on this and and help people with their relationship with money and to understand the root of some of our challenges, which may be may well be that we are um, still reeling from a traumatic experience. Now, before we get to some of your advice, we'd just love for you to tell us a little bit about how you arrived at this space and why it's so important to understand financial trauma. The trauma of money, as you call it. Yeah, thank
1: you. Yeah, and I would also love to talk about um, the difference between financial trauma and trauma of money, which is something that we explore in the work that I do. But how I arrived here is I started a career in finance at 21 years old. I started as a mortgage broker. and. Um, At the time, it was a very male-dominated space, and I was so young. So folks would look at me, they'd be like, do you even live alone and you're trying to do my mortgage? So I had a very hard time getting clients, and the only clients that I was getting were people who were declined. And so I was Mm -hmm. like a last resort Option. And what I ended up doing is pivoting from doing mortgages to working with people to help them get them to a place where maybe in a year or two they wouldn't get the decline on the mortgage. So I was working with them on credit. I was working with them on just the way they were structuring even their taxes. I had a lot of self employed uh, clients. And while I was doing this, I felt a pretty big. Um, emotional experience around this and it was it was anger and the anger were, was for this pe- the people like why don't they know these tips about the credit score uh, so they can avoid this and why why don't they know this stuff and the anger was so deep because i was talking about myself as well i was teach i was a mortgage broker but i had racked up credit card debt i was overspending i was under earning um, I was filing my taxes late. I was doing mm. all these things that I was teaching people not to do. And I, I thought, well, you know, if they only taught about financial literacy in high school, I wouldn't be in this, this, this position and neither would my clients. And so I opened a financial literacy education business and I did that for many years. And then that transitioned into... Uh, consulting with fintech companies on like their consumer advocacy side and product development side. So I consulted on building Canada's first ever free credit score and a digital mortgage product. And while I was doing all this work, I still had a very challenged relationship with money. Like I was Mm -hmm. still overspending, under earning, um, you Buying things with money that weren't authentically aligned with some of my values, but doing it to be externally accepted. And it was through my own journey of unpacking some of the trauma that I had experienced. I grew up in poverty with a single mother, I lived in a home where there was addiction. Um, And when I started unpacking that and some peeling some of the layers off, I started to realize the connection between some of the experiences that I I had gone through and some of my behaviors with money. And so I I just, it was like a light bulb went off and I was like, this is the missing piece. Mm -hmm. And then I went on this multi-year research journey. I'm like, okay, what actually impacts the relationship with money? And that brought... Uh, as to this model, which we call the trauma of money model, and it's six layers that impact the relationship with money, and we can chat a little bit more about that. But that was really the journey; it was my own personal journey, mm-hmm. and then also watching, you know, what I was seeing with other folks, and then seeking a solution to the pain that we experience around money.
0: Yeah, you write about how trauma it disguises itself, and where we may not go right to, we like like you, you didn't know, naturally assume that you had a trauma to, to reconcile with, but we see this show up in our lives as like, we're bad with money. We don't have literacy. We have shame. Um, tell us how we would be able to identify what's going on and maybe how you did it, that it was trauma. Like you went through a year long journey, um, but what, is there a fast track? <laughs> is there a shortcut yeah. to recognizing this in yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think we can take a lot of cues from the world that we live in. And one is there's so much money put into financial literacy programs. There's a lot of money put into financial literacy programs for marginalized communities, um, people who have been economically marginalized living in poverty, and it's still not moving the needle. And what we tend to do, like even in the financial psychology space, is we tend to place the problem within the individual. So let's say you're, spend, you, you're a compulsive spender. You overspend all the time. We might label that as a money disorder, as you're a compulsive spender. And then oftentimes the approach would be to work on the problem. But what we actually believe is that, and I'm going to quote Dr. Gabor Mate, um, who talks about addiction, you know, the addiction is the secondary problem. And there's a primary problem, which is trauma, which is causing the behavior. And if we don't focus on the primary problem, how can we get anywhere? And so... If there's patterns happening, if you're noticing patterns, and you become really mindfully aware of like what what is the state of mind when you, right before the behavior is happening, or right before the shame is arising, and and you start recognizing those patterns, this will indicate to you that it's not a lack of financial literacy, but there's probably something else deeper going on.
0: Mm-hmm. Financial fear is running rampant right now. There is this fear associated with tackling our finances and I wonder if you're if you think that there could be an underpinning of trauma there as well.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So when financial fear is present, Oftentimes, what we'll see is we'll see financial avoidance, and then it can manifest into other behaviors as well. So, there could be financial avoidance, but then there could also be compulsive spending um, because of what's happening to you when you're in a state of scarcity. So, not only do we talk about trauma and the trauma of money but we also talk about the psychology of scarcity and one thing that happens is when there is scarcity present or the belief that there's scarcity present and it's really hard for the brain to tell the difference between I'm actually in scarcity or I've been on Instagram all morning and I'm comparing myself to everyone else and now my brain thinks I'm in scarcity Right, And what mm-hmm. happens when the brain is in scarcity is it acts in a very similar way to trauma. So we lose access to the part of our brain where we can... Tap into impulse control. We can tap into, um, you know, executive functioning, decision making, creative reasoning, all of these things that we need to manage our finances in an activated state of trauma or in a brain that believes it's in scarcity. It's harder to access those tools. And then also, another thing that happens in scarcity is there's something called temptation tax, where we're more likely to act out on a temptation. So, financial fear can lead to avoidance of course like I just want to disso- disassociate from this or it can lead to other behaviors like overspending or it could lead to the op- opposite end of the scale like massive risk aversion not engaging with you know putting your money in a bank leaving it under your mattress never spending money almost like hoarding wealth mm-hmm yeah.
0: It's, it's fascinating, though, right? Because money is just an object. It's a tool. It has no feelings. But of course, when we get involved as humans, and because we place so much um, pressure on ourselves to have a healthy relationship with money, we, we see the value in it. We know that um, we know what it can represent and what it can be for us. Like, it, it's like that's when things get really complicated.
1: Yeah. And this is actually how we distinguish financial trauma from trauma of money. Um, Because financial trauma is defined as trauma as a result of something that happened directly with money. So growing up in childhood poverty, loss of a job, inability to retire, Um, domestic financial abuse, financial distress for more than three months. So there's something that happens specifically with money results in trauma. It impacts the nervous system. But then trauma of money is our belief that anything that happens in your life, and not even in your life, but maybe in your ancestor's life through the study of generational intergenerational trauma, anything that results in trauma can impact the relationship with money, even though it might not have anything to do with money. And that is because of what you're saying, like we place, we place, um, narratives on money and what is trauma? Trauma is something that happens or doesn't happen that leaves your nervous system feeling like it's not safe, secure and not worthy. What is, what is the narratives that we place on money in our society? What does it represent? safety, security, worth. right. So that's why we have this belief that any trauma can impact the relationship with money.
0: Wow. I'm taking a lot of notes. A lot of notes here. I know my listeners are too. You mentioned six layers in this trauma of money model that you have developed. Can you walk us through some of these just lightly and, and so we can get a sense of the, of the journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the the layers answer the question, what impacts our relationship with money? And the first one is generational trauma. Uh, the second one is relational trauma. So this is trauma that you may experience in your lifetime in relation to some, someone or something else. And this can go into what we call big T trauma or little t trauma. So big T trauma would be something pretty significant. And then little t trauma could be something like you were bullied at school you were, you had to do math, you had to do math, like multiplication tables in front of your whole class and they laughed at you, or this could be your mom worked full time and you didn't get enough eye contact as a baby. Um, and then, so that's relational trauma. The third is societal trauma. So this is looking at some of the systems that exist in dominant culture and how they can impact our relationship with money. Um, some examples of this would be, you know, consumerism and some of the narratives that we are receiving from consumerism. One of the narratives that comes through on consumerism, with the help of social media, is if you ever feel any emotions that make you might make you feel inadequate, lonely, bored, tired anything but like a kind of dopamine induced excitement and happy, you're defective and you need to fix that right away. And you should go seek some like dopamine through buying Mm -hmm. something. Right. And so that narrative tells us to disconnect from what it is to be a human and experience all these layers of emotions. So um, societal trauma and then through societal trauma, is um, what is born through that is systemic trauma. So this is acknowledging that there's systems in place that elevate some and marginalize many others uh, when it comes to economics. And um, within societal and societal trauma and systemic trauma, we also really deeply explore the psychology of scarcity, which I was mentioned before, because the economics in our dominant culture is based, is defined as the management of scarcity. Um, and then the layer after that we call biomimicry or laws of nature. And this is to remind people that there is not one right way to interact with money you can hold multiple worldviews of how to behave with money, and the reason why we call it laws of nature or biomimicry is we've we've done research around many laws of nature um, experiences that happen with within nature where they're interacting with resources. That is very abundant and kind of the opposite of scarcity. So, like reciprocity that ha- happens within the forest ecosystems between mycelium and trees, and this idea of reciprocity. So, a lot of the work that we do is grounded in reciprocity, which is actually a neuro expectancy. So, when reciprocity doesn't exist, our nervous system feels like there's a threat to safety. And in some of our dominant culture economic systems, reciprocity isn't present. So you have folks who take, 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 and then you have people on the other end who feel a big sense of injustice for that. And what ends up happening is they're also not participating in reciprocity because they're just giving, 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 and giving everything they have and not meeting their own needs. And then essentially taking a vow of poverty, which Mm. leads to financial trauma. And then the last layer is financial literacy. And we always say financial literacy is last because if you don't have an activated prefrontal cortex, meaning you're in, an act, in a state of trauma or a state of scarcity, it's very challenging to interact with financial literacy.
0: You talk about uh, that there's not one way to relate to money, to manage money. I want to spend some time on this concept because I actually am working on a thesis about FOMO and money and this idea. Yeah. like I'm focusing mostly on the FIRE movement, which I can appreciate. And I have many people on this show who have talked about financial independence, retire early, that whole movement of I think really it's, it's really self-defined. It's not singularly defined. It's just the idea of like having your own independence and choosing your own options and not being tethered to like a nine to five, let's say. Um, but I think that as someone is maybe new to financial literacy or entering a, a place in their life where they're finally making money, they can afford their bills and they're like, I got to, I got to get on this fire bandwagon, you know, like it's either fire or nothing because who wants to work forever? Who doesn't want to retire early? If you're experiencing any sort of financial FOMO, because you're seeing a model out there that is really celebrated and you're like, I got to do that because that's what success is in the financial world. What would you say to this person?
1: What I would say is, um, a line that's used, All the time in the 12 step program is progress over perfection. And the reason why is because financial FOMO is essentially um, embodying like this perfectionist expectation around how your finances should be. And we know that being in that state um, leads to a lot of shame. And the shame is going to impact your goal of being able to create that type of financial portfolio that you're desiring to create. So to have the financial FOMO and put that pressure on yourself is going to, it's going to inhibit and impact your goals because it creates almost like a sense of scarcity. FOMO is, is scarcity essentially. And we know in the psychology of scarcity that, um, we can, do something called tunneling, where we become hyper-focused on what it is that feels scarce. So if we've got this end goal in mind, we're like, I don't have it. I'm not good enough yet. I'm missing out. And it's not even with FOMO, it's not even so much financial scarcity, it's time scarcity. So you've got this time pressure on yourself. What happens is you tunnel on that that scarcity thought and you, you in, inhibit your ability to basically play out your long-term goals because of the perfectionist and shame narratives. So going back to what I said, it's like progress over perfection and like really allowing yourself to be part of the journey and
0: not wanting it to, to come right away. Going back to the layers, you talk about systemic trauma, societal trauma. As I'm hearing this, I'm like, that is not in our realm of control, you know, to some extent or all extents, you know, like we can't change systems overnight and yet we are vulnerable to them. And so what is your advice to clients who recognize this layer as a big influence in their uh, experience with trauma and, and how to navigate that? there is something that we can do that is in our control
1: and it is to not internalize the oppression um, that comes from societal and systemic trauma and we believe that you can you can be an activist on societal and systemic trauma. You could be like dedicating your entire life to fighting and, and changing systems but you do have the control to not internalize and oppress yourself, which can lead to to shame and it can lead to health conditions. It can lead to stress on the adrenals. It can lead to a nervous system that's deeply unregulated. So that's where we can we can work with some of our tools around scarcity and trauma to actually put you in a place, if you want to if you want to change systems where you're more nourished um, and you have more tools to do so because your nervous system is not basically shot all all the time because you're really embodying the shame of those systems. And one thing we see all the time with our students is Teaching them about some of the societal narratives or, that result in trauma or the systemic narratives frees them because oftentimes they might not have awareness of of a belief that they carry around money that might come from a societal narrative maybe about women 60 years ago, right? Right. And so we always ask this question in trauma of money. We say, Whose shame is this? So when the shame arises. Mm-hmm. Whose shame is this? Oh, you know what? Maybe that's coming from my grandmother, who, um, you know, has these really interesting beliefs about money. But in my grandmother's time, she wasn't even allowed to open a bank account without a man signing for her, right? Right. Or maybe this is coming from racist narratives around economics um, where where I live. You know, and and to be able to separate that narrative from your own innately worthy self will allow you to actually do what you want to do around money and like make choices that are in alignment with your own values versus like wearing these narratives of the systemic and societal trauma.
0: Yeah, that's so fascinating. You know, going down memory lane history, the trauma is not just uh, inherited today, it's it can go way back. Any parting advice for listeners who just want to find a little bit more stability and a healthier relationship with their money starting today? I mean, there seems like a lot of resources out there. There's your program. They can talk to therapists. But is there anything that you've seen really work? Sort of a DIY approach to all of this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what I would say is. Work on your nervous system literacy um, alongside, or even potentially before, your financial literacy. And what I mean by that is become, get to know your nervous system and understand what's happening to you when certain thoughts arise, maybe around financial fear or shame whatever's happening, noticing what's happening in your body, and then find tools to learn how to regulate the nervous system. So you can come into the present moment. And one of those tools is, you know, there's so many, there's, there's breath, there's be bringing mindful awareness, there's petting an animal, there's going out in nature, there's calling a friend and socializing and laughing. There's so many different ways that we can really kind of take ourselves out of an activated state. And then that question, like I said, whose shame is this? And trying to really remove yourself from the shameful narratives that are often placed upon us um, externally around money. And then from that standpoint, You're more nourished to go interact with your finances. It's very similar to like if you had a full day of, you know, let's say you were doing your taxes, right? And, you know, you're going to sit at your computer all day or you're organizing receipts all day. You're probably not going to do that with no sleep and no food you know you'd be like okay what mm-hmm. tools do i need to set myself up we we always forget about our nervous system right like what does our nervous system need are, are we calm are we in or are we in fight flight freeze or fawn you know and mm-hmm. and just starting to become aware of that and seeing what you can do to move into the calm place the place of optimal effectiveness where you can really operate without the brain being hijacked, essentially.
0: Chantel, thank you so much for spending some time with us. This is a complex topic, but you've done such a great job of breaking this down for us in simple terms and with um, a lot of encouragement. And I want everybody to check out your work, um, to learn more about you, visit thetraumafmoney.com and um, wishing you a a successful year-end. Thank you.
1: You as well. And I'm really excited to see your work on financial FOMO. That's so important. I
0: can't wait. Coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh but thank you. I think I will be um, citing you in that. Amazing. Piece. Oh, tuned. thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful to be with you today. Thanks so much to Chantel for joining us. You can learn more about her work and her advice at traumaofmoney.com. I'll see you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh. It's not too late to send in your questions. You can email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. You can direct message me on Instagram. And I hope to hear from you. I hope your day is so money.